Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. I, I think every time I, I, I look back and, and, and I, I, before I started the study in Abraham, I said, you know, obviously, Lord, what do you want me to teach? And he led me to teach Abraham and, and the patriarchs and and I now understand why. Because this would be the fundamental problem out there you know, in the Middle East with God's Abrahamic covenant given in the land to Abraham and the Jewish people and whatnot. And so here we are um, looking at the Abrahamic covenant. And today what you're gonna look at is this is interesting. So Abraham is about 140 years old. He's gonna come off the scene and he realizes it. And Isaac, the 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 the, pro, uh, the, the child that was promised to him and Sarah, and it was a miraculous child, needs a wife, okay? And you're like, well, what? this is just a story about uh, the servant going out and getting a wife, and the wife's name is Rebecca, and them, you know, getting together. Well, it's, it's way more than that. It's way more. It has implications with how the Abrahamic covenant will pass through to the next generation, and then it will pass from them to, to obviously, to Jacob. And, um, and the key in all of this is understanding that what you're, what you're studying today is what the world is fighting over right now. It's over the Abrahamic covenant, where God says, I own the land, and I give this land to Abraham and his descendants, and that's what the issue is. And so you can't get a more timely a place in the scriptures than where we're at right now. And so I'm, I'm gonna weave that in, but the, the overall arching theme in this passage is discerning the will of God. And this is a big question that everybody has, is how do I discern the will of God in my life? And how does that work with God in charge of things and then you allowing human freedom and then at the same time, satanic opposition? With all that human freedom and satanic opposition, how does God get his plan accomplished? Well, one of the things before we, we start in is to understand the different wills of God. And to understand that God has a moral will, and that's revealed in Scripture about what, how he wants us to behave and, and what his ethics are and morality. And obviously we see the world going against this, right? Um, but part of the moral will is how we're supposed to operate and be as human beings. Beyond that, you have his permissive will. Now, I guess a great example of permissive will would be that he's not willing that any should perish but all to come to repentance. His will is that everybody gets saved, but because he doesn't force it, because he allows freedom, many will not be saved. The broad is the road of destruction, many who find it. So there is what we call the permissive will of God. He permits it. And the permissive will is the answer to the skeptic's question of why is there so much evil? Well, the reason there's so much evil is because the permissive will of God allows human freedom to make sinful choices, right? So why, why does evil happen? Because of human freedom. But at the same time, if you take a, a, a broader perspective and, and what you see with the providential will of God, this is where we say, well, God's in control. That's, that's theologically correct. And, 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 and in his providential will, God is getting his plan accomplished, even though he allows human freedom and satanic opposition in the permissive will. 
it's still under his control. Now, the Calvinists, unfortunately, call this sovereignty, but that's the wrong term to use theologically. Sovereignty means God's right to rule, okay? Providence means that how God rules in the affairs of, of man and even the demonic realm. And so providence has, is tied to his, his omnipotence, his, his uh, power. Now think about this. God is so powerful that he can accomplish his will despite human freedom and despite satanic opposition. That's power. That's real power. Okay? And what you're going to see in the text is this divine power of providence working in concert with human freedom. Now, let me exp- do one more thing as you're studying. There's a typology in this text. And a typology means that the actors are foreshadowing something that's going to happen in the future. Now, let me give you a hint before I tell you. A father needs to find a bride for his son. So he's going to send an unnamed servant. We know the servant's name is Eleazar, but in the text, he's unnamed, but we know it's Eleazar. He's going to send a servant to go fetch a bride for his son. And I'll just leave you with that. And I'll continue to show that as we develop the story. Okay? Here we go. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in age. He's about 140 years old, okay? And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, this is Eleazar, who ruled over all that he had, please put, my, put your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now here's what's going to happen. Abraham realizes he's going to pass off the scene. He's got to make sure that the Abrahamic covenant continues on and his duty is to pass this on to his son, but his son needs a wife, Okay. And, and, and so he's going to go to his unnamed servant, Eleazar, who, think about this, Eleazar, think about it, he has no agenda. Typically in the Middle East in this period of time, the servant would be the head of the house uh, if he didn't have any heirs, and all the inheritance would go to Eleazar if, he, if Abraham didn't have a son. But he does have a son. And so this servant is not jealous. He's not envious. He doesn't covet what comes to, uh, to Isaac. Eleazar wants the attention to be on Isaac. He focuses the attention on Isaac and doesn't have his own agenda. His own agenda is to magnify Isaac. Does that sound familiar? That's his only job is to magnify Isaac and do the job for Isaac. Huh, Interesting. Keep in thought, keep in thought, okay? Now, your English is, is never does justice to the Hebrew and never, never does justice to the Hebrew idioms. I hate to tell you this, but it's not like he says, please put your hand under my thigh. Um, you can say that as a Hebrew idiom, but it's, it's, it means more than that. It, it means um, genitals, okay? I'm just going to say it, what it is. And, 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 and why, I know this sounds awkward to talk about this. You're swearing by Abraham's genitals. Yes, I know. I, just, I, I know, I know. I, I, I just, I, I, can't, I can't hide this. This is what, what it's trying to say. Why is this important? I know, this is PG-13 apparently. Um, I don't know. Why, is, why, is, why does he have to swear by the genitals? Because it has to do with the seed aspect. 
It has to do with what's going to get passed on has to be in line from Abraham. So Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's seed, right? That's the genetic code. And that genetic code then has to pass on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation to where we get the Jewish people. Okay? Here's the interesting thing about the Jewish people. Now, you have exceptions to the rule, but typically they marry within each, each other's uh, nationality, right? They marry Jew on Jew. You can see this even in Hollywood. You'll have Hollywood stars that are Jewish, and, you know, they end up marrying someone that's Jewish. Uh, and, and you're like, well, what is that? It's built into the Jewish people because of the Mosaic law saying that forbid them to marry outside of the, of, of the Jewish nation, right? Now, again, they did, and don't get me wrong, you have Ruth and, and other people that were outside the Jewish nation, no doubt about that, but that was the exceptions to the rule. And it's one of the reasons the Jewish people have lasted so long, uh, not only because of God's promise, but because of intermarrying within the Jewish uh, framework, okay? So what is he wanting to say? Well, he wants him to swear by his generals what? That you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife from my son Isaac. And why, that's the perimeters. And he's saying, look, man, it's got to stay within the family in this sense, a distant relative. Do not go to the Canaanites because if you in, in, introduce Canaanites into the bloodline, it will mess up this whole Abrahamic covenant. So it has to be within this framework, okay? That's why it's so important, uh, the bloodlines. And then it goes down to land inheritance and all that. So bloodlines are extremely important in Jewish understanding. Okay, now, in a practical sense, if you're a parent and you have kids that are dating and thinking about getting married, this would be great advice. Do not bring a Canaanite home with you when you're dating and think you're going to convert them. We're not doing a missionary dating, okay? So everybody that has kids that are single needs to read this text to them and say, do not do that. Because what will happen is, it, 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 on a spiritual level, you want to marry somebody, obviously, or date somebody that's the same as a Christian, but also the same maturity level, hopefully, as you are. Because what happens? When you do missionary dating, obviously, and here's the principle, the Canaanite will always bring the Christian down. Bad company corrupts good character, right? You're never going to get away from that. And so even in this sense, you know, we're talking about bloodlines and stuff, but the principle is there. Don't marry outside the family of faith. It's not a good idea. You're going to get messed up. You're going to be unequally yoked, and it'll end in a disaster usually. usually. Uh, and it's not fun for the person that's married to a Canaanite, okay? So anyway, stay in the context, Stay within the framework of the family, Eleazar. Okay. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. So there's the free will involved in the providence of God. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? What is he saying? What if uh, she doesn't want to come? Maybe it's a good idea if I bring Isaac out of the land to her in Haran. And look what Abraham says. Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family who spoke to me swore to me saying, to your descendants I give this land. So Eliezer, we're not letting Isaac leave, okay? He stays in the land because this is the promise to my 
uh, my, my uh, descendants, is that this land is theirs. And again, this is what we're dealing with today. It goes to the Jews, right? This land that God gave is to the Jews. You see this little narrow slip? This is what the whole world's fighting over. They want this area because this is what God gave Israel. And just simply, be, Satan wants it. And so did all the other world wants it. Now, if you look at Israel on a map, this is what Israel controls uh, versus the whole area. And you can see they control little slivers. You can see the Gaza. You can see Judea and Samaria, which they call the West Bank, which is, is the biblical term is Judea and Samaria. And Israel doesn't have a control of a lot, right? But this is what all this is fighting over, over the Abrahamic covenant. So you can't get more... Uh, you know, apropos for what we're studying with what's going on in the Middle East. But notice what he says. I do not want Isaac to leave. He stays in the land because this is where the promise will be made. Now, here's the thing. Since we're talking about Israel, and this is a reference to them, what do we, what do we make out of what's happening in the world? Well, understanding history, the Jews since the late 1800s have been making what we call Aliyah. And they're going back into the land. They feel this compulsion by God, really, it's really, that's where it's coming from, to go back into the land, okay? And we've been watching this, and there's been a lot of aliyahs, and people make personal aliyahs, and they go back. And let's just start with the 1800s, let's start to the 1900s, and World War II. A lot of the, the reason they made aliyah is because of anti-Semitism in Europe, the program started in, in, in Russia and then obviously World War II uh, with the Nazi Holocaust and whatnot. And, and, and Europe is just horrible for anti-Semitism. And now today, er, er, Europe is even worse with the Muslim migration that, came, that has come through and taken over. And they're anti-Semitic. So it, it makes Europe a, not a friendly place to be as a Jew. And so many of the Jews have left Europe and went back into the land. Okay. The prophets predict, though, that God will bring Israel back into the land for the tribulation. So here's the dilemma, and this is what I want you to see on the ground that's happening. Almost half of the Jews live here in America. Many are concentrated in L.A., San Francisco, New York, and certain metropolitan areas, but those are the primary places. And... I, I, I see a lot of Jews wanting to return, obviously, because of the war and the fight. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm seeing the same picture in America develop as I see in Europe with the anti-Semitism. And I'm thinking to myself, and maybe this will happen after the rapture, I don't know. But how bad does it have to get in America for the Jews living here to say, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm leaving America because they don't have my back. The, the anti-Semitism is coming out so bad that we have to go back in order to be safe and we would rather be surrounded by enemies in our own land to be able to defend ourselves rather than being vulnerable left in America. Now, what state does it have to get? Maybe it's after the rapture. Maybe once the salt and light, the church is gone, and there's no one here to defend Israel. Maybe that happens. I don't know. But the end game, though, is they will leave America to go back home. Okay? So we're starting to see the development of this anti-Semitism that might be the motivator for them to say, we're going home. And we have to do everything to oppose that. 
We have to stand for the Jewish people. We have to push against the tide, and the tide is very evil. It is satanic. So keep that in mind, because we're dealing with the land here. And, and like, the, like, the, like we, we understand, it's, it's not about politics there in Israel. This is about Islam, okay? And Islam is a major problem. And until anyone in politics says, this is a fanatical, crazy religion, hate-filled, Jew-killing religion, we're never going to get anywhere with it. And I'm, I'm guessing they never will address the issue. But this is what's happening to the college campuses. This is what's happening around America is we have allowed people who have a religion in our country that hate Israel and want to kill Jews. And so along with this going on in our college campuses, you have big tech helping them. Big tech becoming anti-Semitic. But yeah, but Brandon, I thought Zuckerberg is Jewish. Yeah, I know. Go figure. George Soros is Jewish. So is Kissinger. They're Jewish. What, what's going on here? You see what I'm saying? And they're helping the situation. And then you have crazy Biden, who's nuttier in a fruitcake, uh, being told by his, the puppet master, the Council of Foreign Relations or whatever, we're going to give 100 million aid to Hamas. And they're going to think, well, this is going to go to humanitarian. Oh, excuse me, uh, that's, that's crazy thinking. Because humanitarian aid doesn't make it to the ground. It go, Hamas is in control of Gaza. So Hamas will take that money, thank you very much, and turn it into weapons to kill Jews. What are they thinking? Okay? But here's what even bothers me even most. So Zero Hedge has an article that the majority of all Americans oppose giving weapons and supplies to Israel. What? Excuse me? A majority of Americans oppose this? What country am I in? What are you talking about? That's very good. Do you see 1939 starting to happen? Do you see when I say they're eventually going to go back? Because this nonsense, the, it's starting to become a majority against Israel in America. Thank you, leftism. And of course, what is leftist and globalist? Why, why, are, why are they teaming up with Islam? Because Islam doesn't like the leftists, and the leftists don't like Islam, but yet they find common ground. Do you know why? Because they both want to destroy the West, and the West is Christianity. They have to destroy the West. And so the globalists and the Marxists and the communists decide that they're going to use their henchmen, the Islamists, to be the ones who go out and attack and commit violence and, 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 and scare everybody. They're the perfect brown shirts, okay? That's what they're doing. And that's why the two, you have the red and green alliance happening. Okay? This is bigger than what we think. But let's go back to Abraham. Let's go back to uh, um, Eliezer looking for uh, a wife. In discerning the will of God, it starts with what has, God has already revealed. What did Abraham tell him? Stay within my family. Why? Because of the Abrahamic covenant. So this is what God has already, already, already revealed. So don't go to the Canaanites. So we don't know what girl is out there, but we do know this. She can't be a Canaanite. So that's a good starting ground. So we're going to start there, and we're going to go back to where Abraham's family is in Haran to possibly find somebody. So when you and I are discerning the will of God, you start with what you already know. So let's take, for instance, Israel. What do we know about Israel? They are God's chosen people. The land belongs to them. The Jews will one day come to faith in Messiah. So we start with what we know. 
And then when we, uh, we go into the situation and we evaluate what's going on, I evaluate things based on what the Bible says. So when I hear some Palestinians saying, this is my land, they're occupying my land, that's a lie. Because I already know what God has said about the land, right? And that controls how I view things. So we start with what, you, what we know. Okay, so here's, here's what, he, what happens. He says to Eleazar, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. Now, notice this, that, that, he, that instantaneously, Abraham brings an angelology into the situation. Now, this is early on with the patriarchs. Now, where did he get this, this concept of angels? Well, I'm sure it's, it's through oral tradition. It comes all the way back to Adam and Eve and the cherub protecting the Garden of Eden. And so they were fully aware of angels. And again, obviously, the doctrine of angels will, be, we will filter out through the rest of the Old Testament. And then really, a lot of it will come out from the New Testament, specifically the book of Revelation. Okay, but, a, but Abraham has a working knowledge of the spiritual realm. Which means that God, he's saying, look, God will use an angel in his providence to bring this about, to, to intervene. So he, can, he goes to Eliezer, we can trust in God doing this. This also means that Abraham also understands the opposite is true, that he could have satanic interference from this happening, okay? And so this is what we need to understand in anything we're endeavoring in with God that he will have his angels to help, and then you will get spiritual opposition at the same time. But this is what we call spiritual warfare. What's happening right now is spiritual warfare in our lives. He goes, and if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you shall be released from this oath. So the woman, whoever it is, has the freedom to accept or reject the offer of the proposal. Typology. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And what happens? People have the ability to either receive or reject the offer. Only do not take my son back there. So you're not taking him out of the land. He stays there. We talked about that. So the servant put his hand under the thigh, again, under the genital. Sorry, sorry, PG-13. Uh, Abraham is master and swore to him because of the seed line, okay? It's a seed issue. So here's what we have to understand. In discerning the Lord's will, you have to expect that if, if you start out, and like, okay, I'm, I'm going on what we know from Scripture, and I'm going to start out. And then you have to expect that God will intervene at some point in time when you step out. That's how it works. And, 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 and let me explain this a little bit uh, as far as, since we're talking about Israel. <clears throat> I'll, I'll talk, uh, like the Six-Day War, for instance. Give an example. In the Six-Day War, there was a situation in Jerusalem where seven Israeli soldiers were in a foxhole, and the, uh, I think it was the, the, the Jordanian army was coming through, I believe, Jordanian or Syrian. I can't remember which one. I'm going off the top of my head right now. And the, 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 they were being attacked, they were in a foxhole, there were seven of them, and they were shooting, and they were running out of bullets. And they realized, oh my goodness, this whole horde of army is coming towards us. They're going to kill us, because we're, we're, and they're firing, and they're running out of bullets. And like, they said, brothers, we're, this is it, it was good serving with you, we're going to die. You know, so we're going to die fighting, but this is how we go out. So anyway, they finally run out of their last bullets, okay? 
And they're just waiting for this, this Arab army to descend on them and just basically slaughter them, right? But then this Arab, they ran out of the last bullet and this Arab army comes and stops. And they all look up and they freak out and they, they run. And they just, they, they, they bust it as fast as they can away from that site. And he says, he, 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 and the Israeli soldiers look on their Arab face and they're, they're turned pale like they saw a ghost. These, these seven Israeli soldiers never knew what happened. Never. Like, what happened? What, what? They just gave up. Until years later. And I think it was somewhere in the 80s when this happened. I can't, I can't remember the, the... But anyway, one of those Israeli soldiers was in a pizza parlor, I believe. Okay? And he's just going about his day. And there was another Arab man in that pizza parlor. And they got to talking. And they found out that they were in the Six-Day War. Then they found out that they were in the same skirmish. They were in the same area, okay, Jerusalem. And then they started talking. They're like, well, wait a second. Where were you on this day? And he goes, well, I was here. And where were you at? Well, I was here. And he goes, wait a second. You were the ones advancing on us, and we were in the foxhole, he goes, that was you? He goes, yeah, and that was you? Yeah. So they, it was the same conflict. Okay, so here's what happens. So the Israeli soldier goes, hey, please tell me what in the world frightened all of you to death because we were dead. You had us, man. We were going to die. And you all of a sudden look up, turn around, and bust it out of there what, what did you see? He goes, I can tell you what we saw. Above you was a giant man with a flaming sword. And when we saw that giant man with the flaming sword, we busted it out of there as fast as we could because that guy was going to kill us. And we dropped, we dropped everything and ran. Now, who was this giant man with a flaming sword? Wrong, wrong era. You're in the wrong era. Six-day war. Six-day war. There you go. Uh, it perhaps, obviously, I think it's an angel, obviously, um, but it's possible that, sh that they saw Michael, the archangel, because Michael is the prince of Israel, and he defends Israel. So perhaps they saw, but this is what I'm talking about. Abraham knows that, hey, look, no matter what happens, God's going to intervene, and if he has to use an angel, he'll use an angel to protect his people. To make this plan come to fruition. So pretty cool. This is what Abraham's thinking. Okay, so watch this. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for all his master's goods were in, the ha in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia. Again, this is where Abraham's family is, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. That's pretty smart. What do you mean? Well, he's find trying to find a wife. So guess what he does? I'm going to go at the time when the ladies come out to the well and see perhaps if there's a single lady out there that God might lead me to. Oh, okay. 
So you know, here's the thing, human wisdom with divine providence. You know, it's not like we, when, we, when we follow the will of God, it doesn't mean we check our brains out and we stop thinking. You're supposed to use wisdom. And what he does is, I'm gonna go where I could probably find the best chance of finding somebody, which is at the well at, at, at evening time when they're getting water. Okay, so here's the thing, a practical application for all of us parents who have children adult children are, are looking for spouses, okay, that are dating, in the dating scene. Where did he go to find a wife? Did he go to a bar? No. No. Did he go to the gym? No. He went to a well. Why? Because the kind of girl he's looking for is a, has a servant's heart. She serves. So he's going to where the girl would be serving getting water, which is just a daily thing that they had to do during that period of time, um, he's going to find somebody who has that kind of heart. Now, keep watching this. Then he said, look at this prayer. O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand by the well of the water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Okay? Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, that she says, drink, and I will give your camels a drink. Let her be the one that you have appointed to or for your, your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So what is, what's going on in the prayer? Okay, let me explain this. This is not Gideon throwing out a fleece. Gideon was a lack, had a lack of faith, and that's why he threw out the fleece, because he was already told by God what was supposed to happen. What this guy do, does, Eleazar, is saying, hey, Lord, confirm to me the kind of gal we're looking for for Isaac. We know we, we want a servant's heart. We want a responsive heart to you, a faithful heart. And so the, the, the proof will be if she not just simply gives me a drink, because that's what everyone would do. Anyone would do that. It's whether or not she will give the water to my camels. Now, you think, what's the big deal about that? It's a huge deal. Okay, in those humps of those camels... A camel can like put away like 20 gallons of water if you start giving him water, okay? And they store it. He has 10, okay? So he's like saying, Lord, if she'll water all 10 camels, which is 20 gallons per camel, that's the girl I'm looking for, okay? So what, what is it? It's pretty practical, okay? He's looking for a hard worker, and has a servant's heart. And the fact that she will go past the second mile and just not, hey, this is this old man, I'll give you a drink because I feel sorry for you. No, no, no. I'll even water your camels because she has no agenda. She just knows how to serve. Dude, if you can find a spouse like that, whoa. Because I, I try telling my, my boys, hey, these narcissistic, wounded millennials that you're looking at, you need to jettison because you're not bringing that cane and that home to me. I can tell you that right now. Right? Uh, these people that don't know how to work and, oh, you know, uh, how much vacation time do I get? And don't get me started on that. I mean, good night. I mean, I, I think I told you guys on Wednesday, I'll tell you, this is the Sunday crowd about these millennials. And God love them, you know, but they have problems. Um, there don't, don't, we have good exceptions of millennials in our church. But I go to Starbucks, and as an example, and, and, and I say, hey, um, and you get the blue hair and all that. 
and hey, I, I, want, um, I want a decaf coffee, man. And, and do you have decaf? Uh, decaf? I know we have uncaffeinated, but we don't have decaf. What? It's the same thing. What high school did you graduate? I mean, it's just, oh my goodness. So you have just a, a horrible mixture of a, of a bad work ethic, and, and then just, there's nothing going on upstairs a lot of times, man. And I said, I told my boys, don't you ever bring anything like that home to me. Ever, ever, because that's a Canaanite. We don't bring Canaanites home, right? But, but this is what he's saying. What is he looking for? A servant, someone that works hard, has a good work ethic. That's a good place to start, I think, right? Okay, so he says, Lord, that's what I pray. So in discerning the will, what he's doing, he's praying, but he's actively looking, okay? He's active in his motivation to know the will of God. So this is the thing, like say for instance you needed a job. It wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to pray and sit on the couch and play video games until someone knocks on my door and says, hey, we got a job for you. You're the manager of Costco. Like, no, it doesn't work like that. You pray, and then you go out and beat the bushes, and you put your resume out, and you go talk to people, and you go make the calls, and you fill out job applications, and in the process of doing that, the Lord will open some door out there. But you have to get off the couch and do it. And that's what this guy is trying to show. Eleazar is like, he's actively waiting on the Lord. Actively waiting is different than passively waiting. And that's how you find the will of God. You just got to get out there and do it. You got you to you pull the anchor up and set sail. And once you do, then he can guide you when you're out on the waters. Now, as, and it happened before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebecca. Now, Rebecca, are you named, if anyone named Rebecca, your name is Little Calf. Um, so apparently, that's how they described people. They used animal figures, obviously. We wouldn't call people, you look like a calf. Um, it, that would be an insult into modern day, right? You look like a cow. That's not good. I don't want to look like a cow. <coughs> but anyway, in back then, they would say, you look like, you know, Rebecca means, you know, like a calf, a young calf, which was in an agrarian society, that's a good thing, okay? Just want to say that. Anyway, who born to Bethuel, uh, Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nehor, Abraham's brother, okay, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Let's see if she passes the test. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold. That's a positive. That's a positive. Hey, I'm glad that, because I'm glad she doesn't have three eyes and four arms. That's a, hey, all right, okay. And now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin no man had known her. Now, again, why does Moses put, the, put this out? Because he's wanting to tell you that there cannot be any question of whether the children born to her are from another man, okay? Again, keeping the line of the Messiah pure, right? This is not coming from a Canaanite. The child that would be born, well, two children will be born, is Esau and Jacob from this union, right? Okay, so it has to show about her purity to know that this line is pure. And she went down to the well, filled up her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my lord. Okay. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. There you go. Thank you. Until they have finished drinking. Whoa, that means 
all 10 will get 20 gallons of water. That means she's hours dumping the water, going back and forth to the well. This takes hours for her to do, by the way. Huh, that's the kind of gal that God has prepared for Isaac. Hmm. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her, hmm, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. I think he did. He answered the prayer. And again, what does this say? It's God's providence, right? But Rebecca is doing this out of her free will. You see the, how the human freedom is there, and he prays it, let her do this. Well, God didn't make her do that. She just did it on her own account. Notice the perfect harmony of God's plan with human freedom. Absolutely beautiful. That's how it works. That's how powerful God is. So here's the point. In discerning the will of God, especially when you're dealing with other people, you have got to test their character. You have got to test the people's character. And then if it's not a person and you're dealing with a situation, you have to see the virtue of the situation. And if it's not there, let it go. Especially in dating. If you do not see character, okay? Everybody can look good on Saturday night for three hours. Everybody can do that. You can put on the cologne, the perfume, dress nice, brush your teeth once in a while, apparently, comb your hair, some of these kids, I don't even know if they can comb their hair anymore. Um, but anyone can look good for three hours on Saturday night. The key is, that's not enough to know. I've got to test this person's character. How do they act when no one watches them? Do they serve? Do, you know, are they the kind of person you could trust or they're faithful? That's what you're looking for in any re business relationship, friendship relationship, or dating relationship, obviously. Look at the virtue. So she's obviously a virtuous woman. So it was when the camels had finished drinking, all 20 gallons for each one, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Again, he thanks her for it. She, she didn't do this for money. But he's like, hey, thank you so much. Here's a tip, so to speak, right? And he tips her very wealthy jewelry, okay? This sounds vaguely familiar where I read something about somebody who gives gifts to the bride. Did you catch that? Who gives gifts to the bride? The Holy Spirit. You catching on? All right, keep following, keep following. It's, it's beautiful, actually. So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Perfect, you're in the family, great. Now we have the checklist. Awesome, you're not a Canaanite. You're Abraham's family, distant relative. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feet enough and the room to lodge. Oh, come on in. The man bowed down to Eliezer, his head, and worshiped the Lord. Obviously, why? Because his, his prayers are answered, obviously. Providence has lined up. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of, of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Yes, that's right. He led Eliezer. But what, how did Eliezer go there? Did he have a shaft of light? Uh, hey, go walk here, walk here, walk here. No. 
What did he do? Freely went down the path to where Abraham's family is in Haran, and he's saying, that's how the Lord guided me. I went according to my own will, but he somehow guided my way with my own free will. Beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of providence and free will. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and this guy is a jerk, by the way. I'm just going to state it right now. He's a jerkweed. I, Laban, Laban, look, you're not going to get a picture of him here other than he's a money-hungry leech. That's all he is, okay? But how do I know more about Laban? Because later on, he enters the story because his two daughters are Leah and Rachel. And then Jacob, he tricks Jacob, and he, he, he switches Rachel or Leah in for Rachel. He, mar- he marries her on accident. I don't know how that happens. How do you marry someone on accident? Oh, take the veil off. Who, who are you? And it's Leah. Wait a second, I'm sorry. I thought it was Rachel I married. No, no, and then Laban played a trick on him. Say, yeah, sorry, man. You have to work another seven years for me to get Rachel, and then you can have both, both of them at the same time. It's like, oh, my gosh. This guy is, is just a, a schemer. He's a manipulator, and he's out for money. So watch how he reacts when he sees all this wealth from Abraham's servant. So, so uh, he goes, and Laban ran out by, by, to the man by the whale, of course, because he's a little leech. So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets and the sisters, oh, hey, this guy's got money. All right, sis, you landed the big one. Yeah. Laban's nothing but a gold digger. You understand that, okay? Uh, and when he heard his words of his sister, Rebecca, saying, thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels at the well. Again, more symbol of wealth, right? And he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside for? I have prepared the house and a place for camels. Of course you're going to act that way, Laban, because you're a leech and you see money. Then the man came to the house, and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him, all the pleasantries. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, look, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said... Speak on. And so what happens is this is part of the longest, I'm not going to show it, but it's the longest retelling of already what you said. He just recounts the whole thing to Laban and and Bethuel, um, recounting the whole prayer and how God sent them and whatnot. So let's pick up on the story where he ends the the repeat in verse 49. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me uh, that I may turn to the right hand or the left. So basically, tell me what to do, uh, is what Eleazar is saying after he recounts the story. And watch the reaction. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. Let her be your master's son's wife as the Lord has spoken. Now, this is amazing. Um, what has happened here is God's miracle of providence is undeniable. That even Laban, who is just, he's an idolater, by the way. Remember, it's Rebecca who took the, the household idol. Sorry, not uh, Rebecca, sorry. Uh, Rachel took the household idols from Laban, and Laban came looking for them because Laban's a little idolater. I, I don't like the guy. You can tell. I just don't like the guy because he's always messing around with Jacob and, and Israel. Ugh. Ugh, 
He's a puke factor. Anyway, um, they, this guy doesn't even know what to say. It's so miraculous how this transpired, it shuts his mouth. And, 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 and Bethuel doesn't seem to be, you know, uh, negative towards anything. And it shuts her mouth. And she says, like, we don't know what to say. We can't say anything good or bad. Basically, we can't give our opinion because this is obviously the Lord's will. We just got to let it happen. That's actually extremely powerful. Very powerful. Now, let's bring it to your court. God works in your life many times miraculously. Not so much of a grade A miracle where he parts the Red Sea for you. But what you're going to see in your life is God working providentially in doing miracles. We call them providential miracles, okay? Like, hey, man, I couldn't have got this job had I not been in the right place at the right time, knew this person, had this connection, yada, yada, yada. And all, that things, all those things work out to align to a, an open door, okay? We call that providential miracles, okay? Providential miracles, believe it or not, are part of general revelation, to humanity. Really, yeah. They actually witness to humanity. Now, we have creation that witnesses to humanity, that there's a creator. We have the conscience in man that witnesses to him that he's a sinner, that he's guilty of breaking God's law. We have uh, history and providence typically come together. These are the other two witnesses to man that God is at work. Now, here's a trivia question. You ready for this one? Since providence and history are part of general revelation to man of witnessing to him to the, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, here's the question. You'll get $10,000 on Jeopardy if you get this one. What is the biggest witness of providence and history that God has ever made to man? Someone said it. What are, we, what are we talking about here? Israel, thank you very much. Did you know, because of the whole Old Testament and then in the New, that the story of Israel is God's witness to humanity of his providence and his history, that he's in control of history and works through the power because there's no, there's no reason the Jews should exist other than God's providence. There's no reason, historically, that they should be alive today, Right? with everyone that wants to kill them. So through the Old Testament and its account of Israel, and then the New Testament's account of future Israel is actually God's witness to humanity. Now you understand why Satan hates Israel so bad? Because they testify to God's providence that there is the, a living God called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that's working in the world. Oh, okay, now you understand how big of an issue it is in the Middle East. What's the principle? To those in tune with the Lord, they will discern the display of providence as a witness of God's plan in action and then submit to it. Because see, people, most, most Christians are not in tune with what the Lord's doing. They don't see what's happening. And, and, and if you're close to the Lord and you're in fellowship with the Lord, you actually can see his providence in his hand working in the affairs of man and even in your own affairs. And then when you see it, it causes you to take action and then submit to it. So what are you seeing on the, gra the, the ground? What are you seeing? How are you seeing God work? You see what I'm saying? That's what you're, what, you're, what you're looking for. And if you see him, then you come under that umbrella and start cooperating with him. So for instance, I'll give you an example. 
What are we just seeing? We're seeing anti-Semitism all over the place. Okay, how is the Lord working in that? Well, he is asking you and I to step up, right? To step up. If you see the attack on his people, it should say, well, oh, well, it's not my problem. I got my own problems. No, 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 no. You're supposed to see that, and God is alerting you, hey, we've got a problem here. I need you to step up. That's what he's saying. And so that's, that's where the believer is discerning and looking and saying, okay, where's God moving at? What does he want us to do? And look what you did. You did respond. You raised $60,000 to help the IDF with Bulletproof Fest. Great. We still got more work to do. He, will, re, he re, will reveal more in the days to come. Now watch this. And it came to pass that Abraham's servant heard the words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth because of the answered prayer, obviously. <clears throat> then the servant brought out jewelry of, uh, of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, gave them to Rebekah. Huh, remember? Gives gifts to the bride. That's the Holy Spirit. He also gave precious things to her brother. I wouldn't have given him anything. <laughs> Forget Laban, man. Gosh, that guy. And to her mother. That, that is appropriate. And he and the men were with him, ate and drank and stayed all night. So there's a celebration, obviously. Then they, then they arose in the morning, and he said, send me away to my master. Now, this is, in, this is important. This is a principle you're going to watch. So he has a feast. Okay, he's ready to go the next day. But her brother, there he is, and her, mo- and her mother said, oh, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. What's happening here? What did I say? When you have angels working in providence to make sure happen, well, you will always get satanic opposition. Okay? You always get a hindrance. And satanic opposition can't stop the plan of God, but what it does is slows people down, it hinders them, and it discourages them. And the first thing out of Laban's mouth, that good for nothing, says, oh, let her stay 10 more days. That's actually opposition, satanic opposition, because you are delaying that this woman needs to get back in contact with Isaac to have a baby so that the rest of the Messiah's line will continue to happen. You are delaying this. You are getting in the way of this, and that is satanic. That's, it's not about, we just want to say goodbye to her. And you, no, no, no. There's something here that's bigger. Look what he says. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. I'm not going to delay this. We have to go now. It's now or never. You're making a decision. Let's do it now. Because he knows the will of God must happen. And, and so he says, so they said, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. He said, this more delay tactics. More delay tactics. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Look how she responds. I will go. We're done. I, w- I wouldn't want to get out of w- w- from Laban's house too if I were her. I, yeah, let's get out of here, man. That guy's a monster. Um, but no, what, what's happening here? Really, what's happening is she sees the providence of God and she's responding in faith. And her faith is saying, now go. You, you can't miss it. It's God and I've got to go now. So they sent her away, Rebecca, with, uh, Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. So she responds in faith, and she instantly goes. Okay. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, 
I'll get to this. O sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. I'll come back to that. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And here's the principle. When God opens that door, do not delay. You act immediately on that. Because if you don't and you drag your feet, he will close that door and give the opportunity to someone else. You, if, if, if it is so overwhelming when you see God's providence and you deny it, because you're afraid or stepping out, then you're going to lose the opportunity. And don't be that way. There was a prophet of old in the Old Testament, and it's a nameless prophet, and he, he was going through the land, and an old prophet stopped him and, and said, hey, come by and have, uh, have some food and water and stuff like that. And the prophet said, I cannot delay myself. I, I have to be about uh, the work of God. And the older prophet said, no, no, he, he, he's told me that you're supposed to stay and eat. And he goes, really? He goes, yeah. But he was lying to him, okay? And so the, the prophet stopped and ate with this old prophet. And then the God, God used the old man's words and says, because you have delayed, you will be devoured. You will die. Your corpse will hit the ground. And so that guy, he immediately got back on, he, he, on the trail and went out, and guess what? A lion attacked him and killed him. And, 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 and this happened as an example of when God opens a door and you decide not to do what you were told to do, you can pay the price for that. Or like Esther was told by Mordecai, look, if you will not stand up the, for the Jews now, then God will raise someone else up. But Esther, you've got to do something now. We can't wait for you. Make a decision now and let's go. Uh, and, and, and so it's that kind of mentality. And, and, and once you see that open door, take it. And I can tell you this, we're going to take the open door. So what happened this last week is we, we're, we're noticing the churches are not responding about you know, the, all the, the, the propaganda. So what we're going to do, we said, look, let's see if there's an open door. Let's do an Israel conference in November 18th on a Saturday and let me see if I can get speakers for it, and we can raise money to send to Israel. We can raise more money. And so we started working things out, and usually a conference takes about six, uh, six months to put on. We're going to do this in a month. So I was able to line up Tom Hughes, Billy Crone, Bill, uh, uh, Bill Koenig. I was able to line up David Towell of the IDF, uh, Jan Markell to speak uh, on a video conference, uh, and... Um, who else am I? Olivier Melnick is coming. Okay, so we're going to put that together on November 18th. Why? Because God opened the door for us and saying, do this for Israel. Set the record straight. Set the record straight for Israel, the land, the Palestinians, everybody. Set the record straight. And so we're doing something because there's an open door. Now, here's the thing. I could have said, well, that's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, we're really busy, and I don't want to put the strain on my staff. No then God would have gave it to someone else. So you see the open door, then take it. Yes, it means extra work. Yes, it means it's hard. Yes, of course, it's going to mean sacrifice. But, but do you want to pass by the opportunities God give, gives? I don't. And I don't want to be on the wrong side of history on this one. Okay? So let's go back to this thing. Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. So 
Rebecca will become, you know, uh, 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 the, the ancestor of the Jewish people, no doubt about that, so that's proven. And may your descendants possess the gates who hate them. Possessing the gates of hate them, possessing a gate means possessing the city, because if you controlled the gate, you controlled the city, because that's where all the affairs of the city were done. So the idea of, of basically subduing your enemies, which will happen uh, according to prophecy, Israel will subdue their enemies. But look at the enemies. Look at this, what's happening. Detroit president synagogue, Samantha Wool, was stabbed to death in front of the synagogue. I wonder who did that because they won't tell me who did it. Who are they protecting in this? And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Dave Chappelle goes on a pro-Palestinian rant. I didn't know Dave Chappelle was a Muslim, but apparently he is. So that doesn't shock me that a Muslim would say that and go anti-Semitic. What shocks me is what happened with 20,000 people chanting, go Palestine, go Hamas. That's what concerns me. Where do these people come from? May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate you. Israel creates special unit to hunt and kill every participant in Hamas terror attack. Good, good. They've killed up to 24 Hezbollah terrorists. Keep them going, Israel. Knock out every one of these terrorists. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Look at this goofball. Transgender University of California Davis professor, this is a guy pretending to be a girl, threatens Zionist journals. Look what he said. One group of people we have easy access to in the U.S. is all these Zionist journals who spread journalists who spread propaganda and misinformation. They have houses with addresses. Excuse me, kids in school. Excuse me, they can fear their bosses, but they should fear us. That's a threat. That's a threat. I hope somebody does something. Uh, they fire her, get her, him, whatever, whatever, him, her, that, this, him, they. Yeah, there you go, it. Because that's a threat. Oh, we got their address. Excuse me? And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. 100,000 protests against Israel in London after as Antifa and Islamic flags fly. And by the way, it's New York and L.A. Oh, may your descendants possess the gates who hate them. Climate change hoax activist Greta Thunberg. Uh, now, now, I thought she just simply focused in on the, the hoax of climate change, uh, which is a hoax, but now she's, she's doing another hoax of Hamas being good guys. So she stands with Gaza, but somebody, whether her or her handlers, put an octopus behind her, a blue octopus, and that should resonate with anybody that's ever seen World War II propaganda. The blue octopus in World War II propaganda, Nazi Germany represented the Jewish cabal of controlling the world with their octopus tentacles all wrapped around the world. You might have seen the propaganda piece. It, and she put that there, or somebody put it there. She took it down. But here's the thing. And may your descendants, Greta, may, may the descendants of Israel possess the gates of those who hate them, including you. Hamas militants tortured, mutilated Israel parents and children before killing them, emergency responders says, as they're looking at the bodies. That's right. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. May you be wiped out completely because of that. Woman in New York in the latest Jew-hating caught on camera tearing down posters of innocent Israeli hostages. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. 
And this crazy, uh, whatever, Pastrix, whatever you want to call her, head of Lutheran denomination, blames Israel for Hamas attacks. Look at what she says. For the past week, we have borne witness to the horrors of escalating crisis between Israel. What? No, 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 not between Israel, Hamas. That's it, no Israel. We also watch a growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza as Israel blocks food, water, and full medical supplies. And airstrikes continue to cause unbearable civilian casualties just ahead announced at a ground assault. Excuse me, what do you want them to do? They gutted people, cut off babies' heads, lady. We must also call a thing a thing. What? The power exerted against all Palestinian people through the occupation. That's a reference to Israel. Occupation, but I just read in the scripture that you claim to, to believe that God gave the Jews the, the land. What are you talking about calling them the occupiers? The expansion of settlements and escalating violence must be called out as the root cause of what we are witnessing. Excuse me, you're a false teacher. You need to shut up. And may the descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Now Isaac came from the where of, of, of Berlachorai, and he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. He lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. Now, your English doesn't catch this, but Moses did in the Hebrew. What happened? She fell off her camel. It wasn't she dismounted. She fell. And it's this. It's what it's Moses is, being a, is funny about this. She saw him for the first time, and she fell off the camel seeing him. It is the closest thing that Moses can say that it was love at first sight. It's the closest. She fell off her camel. He knocked her off her feet. It's the closest thing that Moses could say. She fell off her camel. It doesn't say she dismounted. She fell. Um, she's like, oh, my goodness. What a stud. And, and so it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's really, that's what Moses is trying to, it's Moses being funny. And, and so God bless him. That's how, but it happened, right? For she had said to her servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it's my master. So she took a veil and covered herself because you can't let her, him see his fa her face. And the servant told Isaac all the things that she had done. And then Isaac brought her into the mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. And so Isaac comforted her after his mother's death. And thus the Abrahamic covenant continues one more generation. Amen. Amen. And it continues on and produced the Messiah and produced the Jewish people. Now, what's the point? Once the open door is there in front of you, you need to take it, and when you take it, you will have the comfort of knowing you're in the center of God's will. It is comforting to know that despite all the anti-Semitism out there, that sticking up for Israel is in the center of God's will. You are right where you need to be spiritually when you defend Israel. Perfect. And may you ever stay in that will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from this beautiful story of Isaac and Rebekah. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for your, the, the freedom that you have given us to make free will decisions. May we see the open door and always walk through it, Father, when you give us, give us these opportunities. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know your son, they would come to faith in him today, realizing Messiah died on a cross for their sins, was buried, he rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who believes. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. 
For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.